Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Hello Glowworms and welcome to a surprise bonus edition of The Vanity Project. This episode is not part of season one and it's not a part of season two which will kick off in the spring. This is just a wee sly extra sit down with one of Scotland's most beloved comedians. The opportunity to chat to Karen Dunbar came up as she prepares to launch her new BBC show, Cancel Karen Dunbar. It's live on BBC Scotland at 10pm on Thursday 24th of February and after on BBC iPlayer. Now, before I introduce Karen, I want to remind listeners that I myself will be north of Hadrian's Wall for a special live recording of The Vanity Project in Glasgow. It'll be on Wednesday, 23rd of March. It's part of the Glasgow International Comedy Festival, so I'll be joined by comedian Scott Agnew, drag queen Alice Rabbit, and parliamentary business permitting MP Alison Thewlis of the SNP. Um, She's the MP for Glasgow Central, so it's going to be a fun, lively night, smack in the heart of the city, in the merchant city, Take a peek at my social media for more information and to get yourself some tickets. Karen Dunbar, one of Scotland's finest lesbians. She has performed on stages in London, New York, um, all over the place and in works as diverse as Shakespeare, Oscar Wilde and Calendar Girls. But of course, she's best known for being one of the stars of Chewing the Fat and later her own The Karen Dunbar Show as well as comparing the opening ceremony of the 2014 Commonwealth Games in Glasgow. She's presenting a new show on the BBC, Cancel Karen Dunbar, in which she considers how a comedian navigates taste and offence in the current cancel culture climate. Uh, Thank you for joining us today, Karen. How are you doing? Hello, Vanity. I'm quite chirpy. Um, The sun's out, considering we were visited by... Dudley and Eunice and some other Derek Storm Derek or something I don't know who it was but uh, the sun's out now so I'm 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 good. Well, I'm pleased to hear that. What what's what's your inspiration then for taking on a show, a documentary with the subject is cancel culture? Well, well, uh, let me take you back. Um, <clears throat> during the lockdown, 
I was gone off my head. <laughs> That's the short version. And I started, <clears throat> excuse me, I always had an idea that I wanted to do work with hip hop and rap music. I know, believe it or no, that is true. Anyway, long story short, I started to do rap workshops on Zoom. And I was doing within different communities, which I'm still doing, by the way, loving it. It started off as a wee project. Now it's a fully fledged business, which is brilliant. Um, and I was working with a group of LGBTQIA plus elders. And one of the participants who were in that group, who belonged to that group and have been for a while, were saying the group's name and the LGBTQ, and they forgot the letters. They got mixed up. And I laughed a bit and said, don't worry, I get mixed up as well. Sometimes I just say the gays. Yes. And one of the, partici one of the participants said, I find that offensive. And I said, the gays? And they said, yeah. And I said, I'm a gay. Um, I don't understand what's offensive about that. So we started a conversation on that. And some of this, I thought it was relevant what they said, but also I was still left a bit, I don't know. Anyway, so the upshot of that was I went to the BBC and said, I don't know what to say anymore that isn't offensive and I'd like to go and explore that and they said go my child go and I uh, made the documentary that's what spurred it on but it was coming for a while Vanity. yeah absolutely I mean because your golden moments in comedy were I mean the Karen Dunbar show when I started at university in 2006 is when I started I think the show had just finished or it was in its fourth or fifth season. And like all of my mates, you know, we would put on the clips. I remember when YouTube was very young, mm. Um, mm. you know, because uh, it seems silly to say that now, but I remember when YouTube first launched and like I was in high school in 2004 or something like that. We'd see clips of it. Um, but the tastes for what's acceptable in comedy obviously do change with the times. And there seems to have been, um, not even so much in the past 15 years, but in the past five years, a big change in what people feel comfortable laughing about or what people feel comfortable making jokes about. Mm -hmm. So that's something that obviously you would be aware of now that you're, you know, yeah. if you're, a, you're a village elder yourself, Karen. Uh, well, I mean, when I started working with that group, and the, the person who said this is, well, we're a group of LGBTQIA elders who are, you know, ages 50 plus. And I was like, I'm fucking 49. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm 50 now, by the way. So, uh, so uh, yes. So the short answer is yes. And pardon my sweariness, but it might slip out vanity because I'm just trying to be authentic. Well, um, you can swear all you like on this podcast. Oh, fucking good. Um, but so, yeah. I have watched, I've watched decades of comedy changing now. Some of it, some of it has changed and some of it, I think, has and will always be fundamentally funny. Um, I mean, we're still laughing at Laurel and Hardy stuff. I don't know, is it 100 years later? Yeah. But it's not far off that, do you know? And a lot of that, so that slapstick kind of stuff, we'll, we'll still laugh at. I mean... Although the clock's on it, though, it wouldn't surprise me at some point, maybe this year, the way things are going, with somebody saying, Laurel and Hardy, how offensive that is. It's sizest, or, you know, there'll be something in that, because there is a way to find offence in absolutely everything. Yeah, there is. Um, so, and one, and that's, I think, what the challenge of this is, it's quite paradoxical. 
Um, it, it's, it's, there's so much contradiction in it. That, and I think we're trying to find a stock answer for what is right and what is wrong. Uh-huh. And there's a, that's the problem. That's what folk are not fighting. This is just my opinion, and you know what they say about opinions. Opinions are like assholes. Everybody's got one, and nobody wants to hear anybody else's. But um, the uh, the idea that we're going to find the right and wrong is what the challenge is. Know who is right and who is wrong, but why we continue to be so binary. Well, I think that one of the things that when you go into a comedy show now, obviously there's a lot of discussion at the moment about the responsibilities of a comedian. Mm-hmm. But I wonder what are the responsibilities of an audience? Because I think that when we go into a comedy show, part of what we should be accepting is that this is not a place of answers. It's a place of questions. You know, you're allowed mm-hmm. to wonder why you found something funny. You're allowed to go out and go, gosh, why did I find that man falling over funny? Was it because it, you know, was it because of anything? Was it because of X, Y, Z? Um, you know, comedy is a way of discharging your uh, your tensions around a subject. But it should Absolutely. also be thought-provoking. It seems to me that the attempt to make a black and white situation out of comedy misunderstands what comedy is actually about. I totally agree with that. And that's really well put, Vanity, because I hadn't quite thought about it like that. But that's true about the reflection of the the subject matter, uh, different subject matter as well. But when you see the responsibility of the audience, and I think to, to a degree that's relevant, but I think if we dig underneath that a wee bit, we're looking at the responsibility of of people, of human beings. Yeah. God love us. <laughs> but, do you know, we're on a hiding to nothing if we think that we'll get to a certain age or a certain level of um, information, knowledge, that will then inform our ability. You know, responsibility, the ability to respond. A lot of the time, laughter is um, is a, a pack noise. You know, it's a herd noise. It's like if everybody in the field's mooing, I'm going to just moo along with that so that I'm in the pack and don't get picked off by the wolves from the sides. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if we were able to take that into account. There's a great quote that I heard recently. I can't remember who said it. I wish I'd made it up. However, and it's, it says, um, we have Neanderthal emotions, um, medieval customs and godlike technology. And we don't fucking know what to do with it. We don't know how to cope with that as an, as entities, as separate entities. It's too much for us. And emotion will always trump logic. So I can hear something that my logic thinks that's unacceptable and the emotional response, as you say that, will still laugh for somewhere because there's only... I'm right off in one now, so you feel free to come in and stop me. But there's only... I don't know if it's roughly 10% of our thinking is our consciousness. That's the tip of the iceberg. That's why I'm doing that. (laughs) I'm putting my hand up on Zoom now like some kind of preacher. But, you know... (laughs) Like, there's 10% of that is our consciousness, and the rest of that is subconscious messages, you know, memories, hidden stuff, smells, everything's in there. And and then we, if I laugh at something that seems objectionable, for me to go away and look in the mirror and say, who the fuck have you become that you're laughing at that, you're a terrible person? All I'm going to do is compound that guilt and that suffering in that and suppress that. Now, that doesn't mean that 
at the other side of that, that people, uh, we, sh we, can, we can abuse people in the name of comedy either. Because I've been at that side as well. I've been in both sides of this divide. Um, so we are, I think we are at very early stages of trying to evolve emotionally. And God love us. It's, like, it's just like watching toddlers. And I'm one of the toddlers. Don't let me put across that I've grown up in this and I am observing from my fucking, you know, deified position. Far from it. I'm like, ah, look at us all. Look yeah. at us all. Buying shape we don't need, with money we don't have to impress folk we don't know because we're fear. Yeah. But I sometimes wonder if that, that you know, the attempt to impress the people we don't know, which is obviously... There's something about humans wanting to revive for status. People want to feel secure within communities. And one of the ways that you can signal your value or your goodness to your community is by being um, the most offended by, by X, Y, Z comedy routine. So I find sometimes that when people are really kicking off about how upset they are about a joke a comedian who they don't even like made, I'm like, what really, what's it to you? It surprises me that people invest their feelings in it. And sometimes I think that online you get this gladiatorial situation where people are kind of in the arena showing off how good they are by how mm. upset they are. And I think that what we could do better, what, what this is my theory is, we need to get better at identifying bad actors in these types of public discussions. Because mm. there's no doubting that some people are, are sensitive to being offended about certain things based on their own experiences. There's no doubt in that some comedy is offensive, but it's when things get hijacked for, they become inauthentic. You know, I, if I ever made, uh, if I said a joke on stage that, and I have to say, for some reason I have managed to go, I've been performing for 12 years and I've managed to go without really ever being pulled up for saying anything offensive on stage. I'm lucky I've judged it right. I pretty much, maybe in the beginning, there was a couple of times where you crossed the line. But, you know, I don't want to upset anybody. And if somebody wanted to talk to me after the show, I would listen to them. Mm. Somebody wants to have a go at me on Twitter who wasn't even at the show, who's trying to mischaracterise me and my intentions three weeks after the fact, they can literally fuck off. <laughs> and what you said there, I find very true. Partly, <clears throat> partly that I, I'm imagining, uh, well, I'm no imagining, based on my own experience of my relationship with my mother and here we go paging dr fried is always going to come back to that kind of stuff see when my mum slipped up like if she said something that i thought was out of line like and i would call it the term would have been politically correct <laughs> in my day um was wasn't it politically correct i could not wait to jump down her throat and some of that was coming from a place of justice if you like and uh, but very little. There was, you know, there was that essence in me. But the majority of it was because of my relationship with her. I couldn't wait to prove her wrong. Yeah. And and it feels like that's being played out. I've still got that in me, vanity. It just comes, it just doesn't come out in that area, you know, in that arena. I'm in another arena fighting my mother who died fucking 30 years ago. <laughs> How grim does that sound? But that's your psyche. Absolutely. And I think one of the things that I always try to remember about myself is that, like, if I'm looking for the villain in a situation, at least 50 percent of the villain is me. Mm -hmm. Like that, you know, we, we've all got our, our 
as as highfalutin as we try to be as humans and we try to be moral or intellectual or good, you know, at the same time, there is still a, a small frustrated tantrum throwing child inside you. And, you know, when you see young people delight in changing the goalposts and catching out their elders, mm. it, I mean, that to me is quite clearly a social play that's taking mm. place. You know, I remember you have all, I don't know if you had siblings, Karen, but like, you know, when you've got a sibling and you know full well when they're at it, you can mm -hmm. see the, they've convinced the parents of something, but you're like, you are at it, whatever mm -hmm. it might be, getting mm -hmm. permission to do this or, you know, being allowed to do that. Um, or when I, I always think when a, a kid hits another kid and the kid that's been hit falls off their chair to pretend that it, that it, was, it was a grievous right. assault, you know, to, that sort of thing. And I sometimes see that with some of the, the, the chatter online yep and that's a great description that like uh, a great sort of correlation between what's happening and how how to how to love how to come for a compassionate stance for both the offender and the offended if you like so the kid that's falling off the chair Rolling and greeting because they've been tapped if that's uh, if that's what you're saying there and, and I'll use that scenario well, there's obviously something going on with that Wayne, and it's not about the tap, right? Yeah. And the Wayne that's hitting them, well, there's obviously something going on with them too, because there's obviously something going on with all of us as as yeah. the as the animal, the child animal that we are, the the wee sort of pups, the kittens that we are. I think about that sometimes when I'm, um, you know spouting stuff off in my most erudite fashion, or at least I think it's it's erudite. Hey. <laughs> and um and I I'm sometimes watching TikTok videos. Look, there's my thumb scrolling there. That shows you my hands. I'm watching the TikTok, the TikTokers. Um and there was a, the, there's these rescue kittens that, you know, and you see them they're tiny, tiny wee balls of fluff. There's hardly anything in them. And the person goes to, you know, put their hand in the cage to stroke them and they're hissing and spitting as if there's some kind of big lion, you know. And that's the best that they've got is this... <laughs> and you could just crush them like that. And that's what I remind myself of when I'm talking like that, you know. Unless I've got um, weapons of mass destruction in my backyard, which I don't, I'm really no much of a threat to folk. And the majority of people, even the majority of, majority of comedians that are putting out offensive stuff, and maybe this is controversial, but I don't think they're really that much of a threat. Um, whether or not they should be saying that stuff is another question, but the idea that they're killing people, I think I think there's bigger things at stake. I think there's much more uh, subtler forces at stake that is endangering minorities' lives, other than comedians make jokes. Depending on what the minority and depending on what the joke is in the context, I don't think it helps. I don't think it's life-threatening. Part of the thing there is, I remember seeing Dawn French talk once about how she said in the 80s when she was starting doing comedy, comedians were kind of seen by the establishment or seen by the media as um, slightly charlatans, you know? The, the, people were a bit mistrustful of comedians, whereas by the time that I was um, in my teenage years, the, the the arenas were being filled by comedians. You know, comedians had become rock stars. Yeah. Russell Brand was playing the O2 and stuff like that. So it seems that now comedians, we give them a different kind of status from maybe what we did 
30, 40 years ago. Now, if you give them enormous status and you give them an enormous arena and you give them a, a world tour, mm-hmm. I can understand why young kids who are who see anything on television as being endorsed by the fact it's on television, they then take very seriously what's being said. When actually, it helps to remember that I, I think comedians, including myself and like drag artists and people that do comedy, we kind of have an, a near pathological need to make people laugh. And yeah. and actually, <laughs> I mean, not all boo-hoo for the comedians, but do you think comedians are maybe a bit misunderstood? Life is full of awesome what-ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Well... I think yes, yes to all of that. And again, without trying to widen things out too much, and because I'm not avoiding the question, I think everybody's misunderstood because we've got we're so harboured by language. Do you know, um, the, the, even this uh, interview on Zoom, which I'm really enjoying, and we can connect to the degree that we can, would be a, a it's, there's a different level of connection when we're person to person vanity because we lose a lot I mean I can't smell you for here and I do like to smell a person do you know <laughs> so I'm losing sensory you know information I'm getting to a certain a degree. pheromone actually Karen <laughs> yeah, is, it, is it flora fauna lily of the valley <laughs> it's something uh, well it's uh, mine's is a mix of coca noodles and a cup of soup you wouldn't want to be near my scent anyway <laughs> um, but so I think that is, it's like, again, back to that, what is the context? What is the motive? Whether it's a comedian saying it or anybody, you know, to, to, why am, why do I want to joke? And what you said there, you know, about being almost pathologically making people laugh, I totally identify with that. As a kid, I mean, I would have thrown, <laughs> thrown myself out the window if I thought it would have got a laugh. Yeah. And what I was trying to do in that, you know, window aside, was to connect 
because I saw how laughter connected people. It felt like uh, they were all, you know, singing the same song for for a minute or two, and and the, so there was a sounds very airy fairy, but there was a vibration in that that was quite pure, and I wanted to not only be part of that, but I wanted to control that. And part of the reason I wanted to control that was because a lot of that laughter was at me. I was really badly bullied as a kid in the street. So I felt, you know, that young age thought, if I can't, there's no way to process the emotions for that bullying. And that's not to justify bullying, but it's just I had no way to process that as a kid, no way to anybody run about me without that being decrying anybody that was run about me. Um, go on, sorry. Yeah, no, everything you're saying I identify with quite a lot. Mm. I'm, I, I'm, I was just curious because when we talk about like when being younger, I know that you were adopted. Yep. Um, and as was I when mm. I was four. So I know that anybody that's a performer probably could, um, could, ther- could, could there's probably a therapeutic reason, they could come up with a therapeutic <clears throat> explanation for why they're a performer, you mm-hmm. know. The, the kids that want adulation, they, they crave that. And because the phrase you, you, you've you used before, which I love, is that you weren't, you didn't think of yourself as an attention seeker, you were a connection seeker. Mm. You know, I know that kids with complicated childhoods will often crave, you know, different types of attention. So it just, it, it resonates yeah. with me because I, I see that from my own perspective as something which is, I developed a personality that people would like, hopefully, mm. um, you know, and part of the exchange was, well, I'll make you all laugh um, and then we'll be friends and then you'll like me. And that was part of the deal. Mm. Obviously, we're adults, so that means, you know, we take greater responsibility for our words and stuff now. And that's part of what your documentary is about. You're trying to yeah. examine what what to do next in comedy, because what's going to be not just safe, but right. Yeah. And the documentary looks through a comedy lens, but it's on a deeper level. It's much more personal. Because what my desire is as a human is to try and connect to people. That's what I want to do is to try and connect to them and allow them to connect to me. Whether that sounds airy fairy or not, that's just that's the truth of it. Um, and it's the it's the balance between trying to connect to people and stay authentic. Yeah. So authenticity is the new buzzword. Do you know, that's a, a, authenticity is the buzzword. The new trauma informed. That's another one we'll be hearing much more about. I mean, get a, get a year and we'll be getting Tesco's own fucking trauma informed lasagna and stuff like that. So, you know, as soon as something comes at tips into popular culture, it gets commodified. However, there's no harm necessarily in that and raising awareness. So in that authenticity, how can I express what I think and what I feel? at that moment because these feelings, thoughts, beliefs are subject to change as well. And it doesn't seem that we allow any time frame for people to change their opinions either. If they've said something once, then that, you know, if they said something racist in 1987, then they they are now a racist. Um, And so within that, how do I express that at that time, but also be mindful of other people's positions and p- to try and put that across in a way that connects me to them to say, this is who I am. And there's a part in the, part in the documentary where, um, I'm gonna tell you the whole scenario just for time and there's no need to if you watch it on Thursday night, <laughs> but plug, plug. Um, but one of the sketches in the Candon Bar show really upsets a member of the audience. And I had, I'm saying I was able to, not like some great doying of emotion, but I was able to sit in that. It was really uncomfortable. But I sat in it with him, you know, 
I didn't try and put it back on them. I was able to connect and I was actually able to identify what it was. I had the same similar stuff. And yet at the same time, I was I had to say to them, I, I find that funny. I think that's, I still think that sketch is funny. And I'm asking you to try and connect to me as a person who thinks that's funny. The yeah. same way as I'm trying to connect to you as a person who's upset by that. Yeah. And that, that, that's the work. The work isn't finding out who's right and who's wrong. The work is in how can we compromise on this. And in that huge middle ground, there are the extremes um, uh, that, that that need to be stopped. It feels like that, that does. There's the difference between offence and harm. And there are there's some things putting out there that would that have the potential to cause real harm, but now it seems to be you know Laurel and Hardy is harmful. But it's that yeah, I'm struggling with that. It's a question of trust, isn't it? Because, and that's one of the things that, funnily enough, everyone thought the internet was going to bring us closer together. We'd all know what everyone's thinking all the time. But I always think it's like the Tower of Babel. I mean, I, I mm. you know, I don't really need to know what everybody's lunch looks like and what everybody's opinion on the Ukraine is, unless they're you know qualified to have one and i mean we're all allowed our opinion but as you say we don't all need to pay heed to people's opinions on these things and i just feel like it's, there's this enormous racket going on all the time of noise and because people can see more of one another than we ever really had a right to or a business to it's left a lot of people feeling like everyone around them is a potential agent of harm Mm. And so there's no trust. And that's when you're sitting with, you know, sitting with somebody who hasn't found a sketch uh, funny, you're asking them to trust that it wasn't made with ill intent. And mm. that even though you find it funny, that that doesn't mean you find you're trivialized, trivializing them or their mm. pain. It's just that, you know, two things can be true at once. It can be funny for some people. Aye. And there's an awful lot of stuff. I don't laugh at vanity. And I'm trying to think, it's interesting. I'm watching myself. I'm a great observer of myself. I think I'm the most fucking fascinating person I've ever met. <laughs> and I love, I love to think what is going on in me. And partly, you know, I'm saying that with kind of a mock arrogance, although I'm sure there's real arrogance in there as well. But also, it's in an attempt to continue that, that combination of connection and authenticity. Because... Without again sounding too airy-fairy, that's where my peace lies. Yeah, it doesn't lie in anywhere else. Yeah, it's, it lies in that that heady mix, that eclectic key of authenticity and connection. Um, and when you said there about, and pardon me if I'm paraphrasing, but the overwhelming of information that we've got about knowing everything that everybody's thinking, I think the problem is that that we don't. Oh, we're, we're overwhelmed with masks. It's, you know, so it's not what everybody's thinking. It's what everybody thinks other people want, want to think. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's the problem. Part, part of it is, is very true. We don't need to know what everybody's thinking. My God, if everybody knew what I was thinking all the time, I'd be in the jail. Yeah. The jail. And I'm not, I'm not alone. There'd be hardly any of us out on this side of the bars. Yeah. It's a good job you don't get jailed for what you're thinking. Yet, <laughs> but the clock's ticking. So, what do what do we do with that? How do we again airy fairy? Is it? But how do we hold each other in that? Because we, as a society, are becoming so fragmented. It was happening anyway, and then the lockdowns and the pandemic 
has exacerbated that, cubed that, you know, it's stratospheric now, that level of fragmentation. So there's no coincidence that cancel culture, whatever that means, has went through the roof. I don't even know if that term's right. Ostracization, that's a, well, that's the, the that's what it really is. And this is just our 20, 21st century name for it is cancel culture. I wanted to ask you about, you know, even the term cancel culture, because obviously it's a focus of the documentary, but some people will claim, I think, somewhat manipulatively will claim that the cancel culture doesn't exist. Um, so for you, the definition of cancelling or being cancelled is ostracised, made a pariah, shameful. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's the village stocks. It's the, that, that's what it is now, except the village is global. Um, Darren McGarvey, the, the rapper Loki, used a great term called industrial sh industrial strength shame, do you know? So the public shaming, I mean, that exists. That was there when we were coming out the trees, do you know? Um, and so this is just the manifestation of it now, and, and it is global. I mean, if, if I did some... As a kid in the 1980s, if I did something shameful, whatever, whoever fucking deigns it to be shameful, but if I'd done that, then... Everybody in the street knows, but no, every you know, no everybody in the school knows, and no everybody in the town knows. Right. Certainly, nobody in Glasgow's given a shit, do you know? Because I was brought yeah. up in here. So, but whereas now, that's just instantly with the hit of a thumb. Yeah. You know, reaches an audience of well, potentially, I was going to say seven billion. I don't know if we've all got phones, and I don't know if we're at eight billion yet. But the majority of the world, yeah. you know, can get access to that. So it's what is what is that about and how can we mediate that? Because whether cancel culture exists or no, whether that term is a misnomer, the public shame and, and ostracization certainly is. It's a, a way to make you conform with the tribe. Day with the tribes, that's tribal. Day with the tribe does so that you stay in the tribe. Yeah. And there are there is a level of that that is actually a tiny level of that that is quite healthy. Do you know, if all the coups stay together, then they're less likely to get picked off. And one of them wanders them like, oh, look at this patch of gladioli here. I'm just going to have a munch. Um, and then the next thing, a saber-toothed tiger. I don't know why a saber-toothed okay. tiger's eating a coup. It's a highland coup in my head as well. So there's a lot going on, as you can imagine. But, and then the rest of the coups are like, ah, look at Bessie. That was her just down. She should have We told her. Sniffing floors isn't owning this uh, uh, tribe, by the way. And she's went away and did her own thing. Because she's fucking so desperate to be authentic, she's dead. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Laughing at me and joke. <laughs> there's, a lot, there's a lot of behaviour that's like maladaptive that we do, mm. you know, because what is danger nowadays? Well, there's no saber-toothed tigers. Mm -hmm. um, exactly. So we've almost had to like inflate the definition of some harms. Um, you know, <laughs> if we'd all put our phones down mm. and, you know, go for a walk. Well, it might be a little less tense, but that's not the direction of travel. Like we're using everything even more. If we all put our phones down, let's even just let's let's put this out there, vanity. If all the people in Scotland put their phones down for the next week, we would be going through a mass detox. Yeah. There would I, I don't know if there would be riots in the street, but there would be dissent. And there would be a lot, a, a lot of struggling because we would be having, and I don't, I'm no totally clued up in this, so you might get comments. I don't, you know, that's that's correcting me. This isn't real science. I don't know, but we would be going through a dopamine detox, 
uh-huh. and which is horrendous. Um, and we've all been through dopamine detoxes. Whenever you want to stop doing something that you yeah. think, I need to fucking stop doing this, yeah. and you do it for a week, it's a dopamine detox. So whatever level that is on, on your phone, because that's the dopamine hit, I'm not interested. In, well, I'm interested in kittens. They're lovely things. But really what's happening is my brain is like, where's my dopamine? Come on now, get to the dealer, which is my iPhone. No adverts here. I'm almost embarrassed to have an iPhone. Anyway, that's a whole other conversation. Because um, I'm an Apple whore. And I'm like, what am I doing? Is it buying another? And I'm in another level of it. What am I doing? What is the answer to that? It's a dopamine addiction. It's herd mentality. And it's the illusion of safety that's in that. And okay. if we're not dealing with that... Go on, I sorry. Always, I always use... So my def- when I'm talking about cancel culture, I'll tend to use... Although I, I, I think that the way that you've expressed... Uh, the definition that you've used, particularly for the show, makes absolute sense because it's, you know, it's a, it's about shaming. Um, I always think I use a slightly narrower definition, partly to combat the people who try and claim it doesn't exist, which is that I refer to when internet reactionaries directly pressure employers so that employers' lives are made hell unless they remove someone from a position. Mm-hmm. So I think about, you know, there was some wee lad in Glasgow who'd shared a Billy Connolly joke on his Facebook, got sacked from Asda because the joke mm-hmm. was deemed to be racist or homophobic or something along those lines. Never mind the fact that this very Asda store sells the actual Billy Connolly DVD yeah, that, that they were booting him for. Now, that sort of thing to me, I think there's two problems there. One, we've got the mob, but mobs are going to mob, right? Mm-hmm. We, yeah, I, I'm not sure there's much you can do to change that other than as you and I are probably trying to do, encourage people to be a bit more considerate. But, you know, that's not a quick fix. That That's expecting a sort of change in good manners almost. Mm-hmm. The problem, I think, is that businesses, it's all too easy for a business to just capitulate for an easy life. Totally. And I understand why. If you're, a, if you're the manager of the local asda and there's 30 people on twitter saying that you're a racist and your employees are racist yeah i can understand why they why they bottle it you know that sort of thing i think is like that that's what really gets me because there's one thing to have been socially shamed but it's another to be you know maybe financially ruined or, mm. or that everyone googles your name and find, <laughs> finds out that yeah you're unemployable um, and this was, you know, I, I went and, and sort of protested this version of cancel culture myself a few years ago and got cancelled for doing so. Um, but for me, it's a compassionate case that I make. Can I, I ask you, Vanity, make... how was that for you? Um, not to take you away from what you're saying, because I'm interested, but oh. when you say and got cancelled myself, well, tell me what happened and, and what happened to you and that personally, if that's all right to ask. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean... For me, this was about three three years ago, and I had seen, probably as you had seen, the sort of mood change online that cancelling became socially acceptable. It was basically a socially acceptable form of bullying. Mm-hmm. And in London, where the wow. performance community is very, can be very trendy and up to date with the newest idea, mm-hmm. you were seeing every month there was another person getting getting cancelled in, in the more broad sense. So I, uh, I attended a free speech rally, which in my own hindsight, I think was a convoluted form of protest because I was sharing a platform with people who themselves were actually in many ways unsavory. Um, but then I got canceled for, for having been there and also willfully mischaracterized, I think, by people 
um, too, which is difficult to process. I think for me, what made that difficult was that people went to venues I worked in and people I knew went to venues I worked in and were calling them up saying, you need to cancel Vanity for the Eurovision show and I'll, I'll take her place. And, you know, just really yeah. catty stuff. Um, wow. That was a process that took a few years for me to realise that it had actually really, really psychologically affected me. Yep. Not so much the loss of the income in that over that summer, because that, mm -hmm. that came back because the businesses I had a good relationship with and they knew who I was. But the the being a pariah thing, because it strikes me, I saw your interview with Constantin and Francis from Trigonometry. And yeah. I, know, I know the boys. Yeah. And it was funny because it was like two worlds colliding because I know them from, from, from London life. And then obviously I know you from the TV back home. And then when you went on, I thought, it seemed to me that that you're expressing being actually quite frightened about being cancelled and that's that surprised me it surprised me just because you were being very honest about how vulnerable being a comedian is making you feel now because you're mm. you know yeah nervous about it yeah um god there's loads you said and one of the things you said which is a gem and i will hoover it right off you and pop it out left right and center now is that Cancelling is like a socially acceptable form of bullying. Yeah. That is massive. And it's interesting that I was being interviewed and I said, what am I going to do if somebody says to me that they're offended by what I've said? If I say to them, I'm offended that you're offended, do we just cancel each other out then? <laughs> is every, and it's, it comes under that bracket. So thank you. That's really useful. And I'm sorry you actually, I'm sorry you went through that as well. I'm sorry you went through that bullying, um, as I am sorry for anybody that's going through that bullying and and whoever is saying that. But anyway, I'm, I phone one there. Um, the the fear that I have is, I mean, it's partly as in my career as a comedian and what I do next and what I say. But because I'm to, to still to a certain degree recognisable in the street, um. It's it's a it's not about what I'm doing now. It's about what I might have said before, yeah. and that being dragged. So me doing this documentary felt like a potential expose of myself. You know, if if I'm saying what is this cancel culture, then people are like, who is she and what has she said? I mean, at one point I start, I hardly use Twitter. I certainly don't use it now. How many? In fact, I don't even tweet my own stuff. Somebody yeah, puts it, and it right. says it. I, says it I, on I, Twitter. I use it to observe and I'll occasionally retweet, but it's like, I don't want to go through the, the fucking adrenaline attack of nah. putting out something that was genuinely curious nope. and being told by everybody. You know, the, the least generous interpretation of everything. That's yeah. what Twitter's all about. And I, I don't read my press. So I've done all the interviews for the show coming out and I know the stuff was out on Saturday and I, and I don't read it. <clears throat> I don't know if that's... <clears throat> I don't know if that's bad PR for me to say that, but it is the truth, and I would rather take the chance of that rather than saying, "Yeah, yeah, I saw the interview." I, I don't, I don't read it because I can't cope. And what I've tried to do over the and I don't read um, reviews because I can't cope. I can't cope with the fucking good stuff. Never mind the bad stuff. No, I thought that my way through that was to learn how to cope, and what I kept doing was exposing myself to it. You know, like uh, exposure therapy. If you don't like spiders, you'd look at a picture of a spider, then somebody brings one into the same house, then it's in the room, then it's in your pants. And that's how you get over <laughs> your fear of spiders. It didn't work for me. And and I remember thinking, why would I keep looking at 
something that somebody I don't know is saying about me and they may have another agenda going on, like trying to get your job off you. Yeah. Why am I doing that? Why am I doing that? And so see the decision to stop doing it. Oh, Lord, the freedom that was in that. No, it was hard at first, like the dopamine fix. Uh, it wasn't just a, um, right, I'll just stop this on a Tuesday and by the Wednesday I was free. It took about a year for me to come out of that loop of looking at stuff. So my fear is still, it's based on walking up the street and a brick hit me on the side of the head and me saying, what happened there? You know, it's all my ignorance, what happened there? And somebody come up and gone, you, on Twitter you said, I started scrolling through my Twitter for years before and thinking, what have I said about a steak pie? Do you know, because like, oh, I'm on in this show. Did I say it? And, so, and I, put, I was sitting in this seat and thought, stop, stop, stop it right now. Because like that, like anybody else, I will manage to find things to trip myself up on and then I'll go off my head with it. So I'm not doing it. It's not about ignoring the, the herd, if you like. But it is listening to certain cows in the herd, right? Like my pals, they'll be very glad that I've just called them cows. Yes. But you need to listen to the whole podcast if you're listening. Um, and, and listening to them and taking my um, that objectivity from them who know me, who trust me, who love me, who aren't going to soft soap it either. You know, because I've got I've got soft soap pals and they're smashing and I'll hang about with them when I want to feel good about myself. But if I want some direction, then there's people on one hand that I will go and say, Go on and read this. Don't tell me what's in it, but tell me any you and tell me what you think of it and tell me if I need to do something in this. I'm agging off my head. And there's sometimes they're like that, ah, I yeah. And sometimes they're like that, ah, no, you're no. I mean the the best friendships help us to be staunch characters, you know? Because mm. you want to have a, you want to have character, you want to have a backbone. You, but part of having character is like being considerate of others. You know, that is a, Definitely. That, is, that is a huge part of being, of having character. And that's, I mean, that's certainly, Karen, is something that I think you exhibit. You are a staunch woman. Yes, I'm out. Oh, I'll take that badge. I'm going to get that in a t-shirt. Can't be a staunch woman. Listen, your show is going out on the BBC. People will be able to watch it on iPlayer and we'll make sure we post the links in the Times and everything. I will be doing the Vanity Project live recording of the podcast at the Glasgow International Comedy Festival on the... Where, 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 when? Tell me. Where and when? Well, I can't remember the name of the place. I know it's on Candle Rigs because I used to live on Candle Rigs. Nice. So it will be there. It's on the 23rd. Um, you should come and have a drink with us. I'm just going to say that. It's the 23rd of March. Aye, and we've um, got Scott Agnew is one of my guests, and I think you'll know Scott. I um, do, I know the name, but I remember I'm 50, so, I mean, it could be in my wardrobe. Well, he's, no, he's, no know. Spring, he's no spring chicken as our Scott, um, so he's a comedian, <laughs> and we've got Alice Rabbit, and we've got an SNP MP, Alison Thulis there as well, so it's going to oh, be... Oh, aye, cool. I know her. It'll be, it'll be cool to do it in front of a live audience, because as I'm sure you appreciate, we've missed those yeah definitely Especially in scotland because i you know i've been i've been playing live crowds in london for the past six months or whatever but i think mm. in scotland people are like glad to be getting back to shows definitely well i would if i can i'll be there i'd love to come and see that because it's been great chatting with you the day thanks so much karen dunbar thanks vanity Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? 
Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.